What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Five. I'm Griff. And I'm Will. I'm Sub. And we are finally back after a brief intermission, we'll call it, due to finals with school and the holiday season. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year as well. In this episode, we're going to be talking about our dismantled Red Sox, the college football playoff, and week 17 of the NFL season. What do we say, guys? Let's go. I'm looking at our I'm looking at our depth chart that ESPN has. Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, Nick Pavetta, Garrett Whitlock, and James Paxton they have as our rotation. <laughs> but at least we finally have a closer. Yeah, and that's still gonna be an experience. I have everything because I left my laptop at home, so I'm gonna be on my yeah. phone for my research. You're on phone. Gonna love Reese McGuire, starting catcher. He wasn't bad. He batted over 300 for the Sox last yeah, year. No. He, wasn't bad at all. he wasn't bad at all. He's gonna platoon with Connor Wong, most likely. It's just funny. I no. I'm, you know what? We're keeping this in. No, we're actually keeping all of this in from when I started. Welcome back, guys. Um, I, I, I was going to say, I don't understand. Like, let's just get right into it. I don't understand how Christian Vasquez was not a Red Sox at the end of the season, right? Signed with Minnesota. But before he signed with Minnesota, he still contacted the Red Sox. He's like, this is how much I'm getting from Minnesota. If you guys want to come anywhere near to it, I will take it. They said no. We're going to stick with Reese McGuire. That makes absolutely no sense. And while I guess we're recording now, this is a little makeshift start, but who doesn't love a little candid here? Um, the team is in shambles. <laughs> the team is, I mean, this might be the worst we've seen it since. I don't even know when, if anybody could even throw out a year. Like, we've had those years, you know, we've had those down years where we fire our manager and then we come back the next year and somehow we have like five all stars on the team and we win the World Series. But I don't, I don't see that happening this time, especially with our lack of depth. We just, I mean, Tristan Casas is 100% going to be our starting first baseman day one, and that's kind of a big deal in my opinion. Um, someone that comes from, you know, AAA almost the whole season, he gets bumped up after that, um, like more than halfway through the season. I'd say like three-fourths through the season last year, and he wasn't fantastic. He wasn't fantastic at all, and, you know, he's young. We're really going to rely on him in, I guess, maybe Bobby Dahlbeck. I don't know. I, I, and, I mean, Stav, you, you, you can really get us into it here with um, more of our situation, but we're really struggling. Oh, 100%. Um, I wanted to preface this by saying this offseason has been nothing short of depressing as a Red Sox fan. We've seen all of our childhood heroes essentially walk out the door. Guys from that the core of the 2018 team is gone. Um even even the core from last year's team, the team that went to the ALCS is gone. So they're in complete rebuild mode. 
But mm-hmm. ownership and management is going to try and sell it as they're trying to win now. But I, I, I struggle to agree with that when you're starting nine, essentially, you have a bunch of unproven guys. You know, the if everyone plays to their ceiling, essentially we're not even a first-place AL East team. Because I, I look at if everyone has a career year, right? If you have Trevor Story from 2017, if you have Kike Hernandez from the – from last year, essentially, it, it still it still doesn't move the needle too much. You know what I mean? Like, even our starting rotation, yeah, you brought aboard Corey Kluber. <laughs> He's, what, 40? What is this, 20? What are we saying? This is the 2017 Cy Young Award race with yeah, Chris the Sale. Top two award, the top two voters. So, yeah, you, you go down your rotation. You go Sale, Kluber, Pavetta, Whitlock. Bayo, Hauk, like how or I, I don't know. It, it's one of those things where we don't know. And you watch Nate Baldi leave, and he wanted it to stay. You watch JD Martinez walk out; he wanted to stay. Essentially, you but you did replace. It, it's just one of those things where it's like I'm trying to be. You guys know me. I try to be optimistic about the Red Sox. It's a long season; a lot can change, but. The moves that were made this offseason really are making me pessimistic and not even wanting to attend a game. It's not it's not right to put this product on the field right now. No, I agree. And um, excuse the banging in the background. My house is getting excited, so sorry about that. But, no, I agree. Stop. Like, I don't want to be not optimistic about the season. Also, a lot of people are saying, like, oh, like, we've taken a bad team to the playoffs before. We've taken a bad team to the ALCS. But I just refuse to say we can make it to the ALCS. I'm not saying that we can't make the playoffs with other moves, but, like, the ALCS would be crazy if we could even get that far. I don't even really see the playoffs to begin with. Like, like it's just we're, like, it's, like, not even, like, a scrappy team. and We're just old and have a few young guys. Like it no, almost is like nationals esque, if that's the one way I can put it. I I don't even know if I'd compare it to that nationals team. Because, well, they're better now. They're better now. But well, like, no, no, obviously. But I I know what year you're talking about. Yeah, and, a couple years. You know, ago. you talked about taking a worse team, um, to the playoffs to the ALCS as well, and, and I honestly can't even compare it to any of those teams. Any of those teams that have you know surprisingly made the playoffs in our um, you know, lifetime, because when I look at this team, it's just like we're really selling out on Masataka Yoshida. And Masataka Yoshida, I mean, the only reports I've heard from Japan on him are that we overpaid him maybe by 200% the amount that we should have gave him, and that's not a good sign. You know, we we, we missed out on, on a few key pieces, a few key pieces that, you know, were in our hands. And, and it was just as simple as that. Sign him back. And I, and I don't mind the move on leaving J.D. Martinez. I love J.D. Martinez, but I feel like that's kind of what we talked about throughout the whole season. We need a DH that's going to hit for power. And J.D. was about our only guy that even like could hit last year. So that was good. But at some point, if we want to make moves in, in the right direction, we have to have a power hitting DH. Justin Turner stepping in, and it's just the fact that this would be a great year for J.D. Martinez. <laughs> like, of, of course. It's like I wanted him gone, but this would be a great year. J.D. would hit, like, 300. J.D. would probably be in the three-hole because yeah. Rafi, if, if we want to run Rafi back at the two, 
I like right now, if you ask me to put up a, a one through nine, what my prediction would be, I don't know who bats lead off. Rafi bats second, and I don't know who bats third through ninth. I, I, the team is in like absolute, it's not even rebuild mode because how are we going to rebuild around these guys? Other than, of course, Rafael Devers and Trevor Story. Trevor Story, who's going to be 30 this year. Rafi, who's going to be 25 this year. Obviously, he's looking for a contract extension. The only person that we have locked up is Story. Verdugo, I guess you could say. I love Verdugo, but he's not, you know, an all-star player. He's not. He's not he a could. Exactly. Exactly. He could maybe step into that position, but... Throughout this whole season, and we haven't even talked about the fact that we lost Xander to the Padres and how dirty the Padres are going to be with their 15 shortstops playing in the field for them. But, I mean, that's going to move story to shortstop. That's almost imminent. Arroyo is going to play second? It's not awful, but it's still – he's not he, he's not an everyday guy. That's someone who who's a platoon he's a tool guy. guy. A guy you, yeah, you throw him in. When you need him, if someone needs a rest day, yeah. Christian Arroyo, he's a utility guy. He's like Brock Holt. Brock Holt was an everyday yeah. guy. He would go fill in when guys needed a rest, and that's what Christian Arroyo is for you. He's a solid player. I like Christian Arroyo, but there's no world where the Boston Red Sox should have their starting second baseman be Christian Arroyo right now. Also, no. I don't know if any of you guys also see this, but Nico Goodrum is on our depth chart. Yeah, but he he's not going to do shit. No. I'm not like have like it's not like oh I'm excited about it. But I'm just like confused. When did that even happen? No, it was, it went under the radar. It happened like mid December. Oh. But yeah, that, that that's just a contract pickup. I don't I don't think he's gonna end up seeing the 90 man rot, or I don't think he's gonna end up seeing the MLB level this year. But I mean, there have been rumors floating around about the Sox acquiring Padres shortstop Ha Sung Kim. Who's a good player? That would he would be a starting shortstop for us. That would allow Story to stay at second. But my whole logic right now is if the Red Sox, there were when. Let me preface this by saying the Red Sox were reportedly negotiating with Xander as if Marcelo Meyer was ready to come up. If that's the case, mm-hmm. call him up right now. He's what nineteen years old and bring some excitement back to the Red Sox because right now the entire organization, the entire goddamn city is shitting on the Red Sox. They're out of the list of the teams right now, the Red Sox are last place for excitement in the city, right? You can go Celtics Bruins interchangeable at number one and two, Pats three, and then you go the a big drop off than the Red Sox four. Right? You I mean I hate comparing shoot. I hate comparing sports, but this is technically a down year for the Patriots and heading into the last week of the season, they can make the playoffs and they control their own destiny. If you tell me that the Boston Red Sox heading into the last week of the MLB season, that they will be able to control their own destiny, I'll call you crazy. Yeah, you're right. And, and you know, I'm looking at Marcelo Meyer right now and he's somebody that hasn't scratched double A yet. And it's like, you're exactly right about that contract negotiation. We were talking, I don't know if it was like we were expecting Meyer to have a big year. I mean, we have to at least start him off in double A this year, mm-hmm. if not triple A. I think that he might be the type of guy that goes from double A straight up, and it could happen this year. He's 20 now, um, and he, he would run shortstop, and that's exactly, I guess, what we need, but – is it like wh- where do we want the direction of this ball club to be? 
It doesn't make sense. We have a rotation where you almost thought that it couldn't get worse than last year. This is going to be worse than last year. We don't have Nate. Um, Corey Kluber is our second guy. Chris Sale is, I mean, you can't say ace, but Chris Sale is our, like, first guy. He's probably going to be our opening day, if not Nicky Meatballs, Nick Pavetta, who's going to throw that 12-6 right into the middle of the strike zone and let up five home runs on opening day. I don't trust this team. I, I actually don't even mind the um, the relievers, the bullpen, because, you know, the bullpen's bad, but now they kind of just, like, match with the rest of our team. The bullpen looks as good as ever because the rest of the team stinks, so they look around the state. This team is gross. Well, I mean, not, it, it, and I would it, say our biggest free agent signing this year would be Kenley Jansen. No, I agree. And you, you brought up the bullpen. That's the only area that they've addressed, essentially. Yeah, right? I don't, I don't like, mind the bullpen at all. It, it looks like Time Bloom just scrolled Twitter and stopped scrolling, like, in October. <laughs> Not when, No, in, like, in like July. Yeah, exactly. He's, like, he went to July Twitter, and he just never refreshed. He's, like, oh, <laughs> the Red Sox fans want a bullpen. It, like, no one really cares if we re-sign Roth or we don't sign Xander. No one's talking about Nate Evaldi or J.D. Martinez right now. So let's just address the bullpen. And I mean, some of the bullpen, pro- I mean, prospects, some of the bullpen pieces that we got are serviceable. Like, I trust the back end of our bullpen right now when you go, hypothetically, Barnes or Matt Barnes, who um, who ended off the season well last year. We can go 7-8-9 yeah. with Barnes, Schreiber, and Kenley Jansen. Mm-hmm. And you even throw in possibly either Hauk or Whitlock in that sixth inning. You you have a decent bullpen that I I mean you got a guy like Josh Taylor you still have Cutter Croft you have guys who are serviceable yeah guys who can yeah. come in and I don't mind Caleb Ward either Caleb Ward's pretty yeah. good I mean he was the best closer in AAA last year he got bumped up and he had these few even... innings he he was shaky at the start but he started to figure it out and I think that he's going to be a serv- a very very serviceable and, uh, option out of the bullpen this year and not only that I didn't even mention the recent acquisition of Chris Martin he throws heat. Right, that's a guy that that this bullpen needed last year, and mm-hmm. they went out and got him. So I'm not clicking my heels. I'm not cheering for for mediocre bullpen, but it's serviceable. This is a serviceable piece, and if the rest of the roster around them was good, I would be a lot more excited. I'd be like, okay, this team's ready to go. But it still feels like this is the beginning of the off season. You know what I mean? It feels like there's still moves to come. But that's really not the case. There are not really many big-name free agents still out there other than the Carlos Correa story where no one yeah. knows what's happening with him. And then they just probably do his x-rays and realize he doesn't have a left leg or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. He, he's, for those who don't know, Carlos Correa originally signed with – who did he bring? The Giants. The, yeah, the San Francisco Giants, big contract. And he failed his physical. And then the Mets pounced on it right away, gave him – 10 years all well they gave him over 10 years 300 million dollars then now they're scared with physical and there hasn't been any updates on that and no one really knows what's going on with the carlos correa story and scott boris is doing a great job of just keeping it quiet because if there's nothing coming out about it that means there's something bad going on and they don't want it to come out yeah and you know, a look, a look around the league after that, you know, it, it comes to light that he could be potentially signing with the um, Mets, 
which is a big deal. And then kind of the same exact thing happens. And it, it's come to the point where we don't know where he's signing. Carlos Correa, in my opinion, is probably the biggest free agent left, right? I, I, I couldn't see unless I'm forgetting somebody. But with I'm his injury right now, with, with, with his injury situation, it comes to the point where he's going to get signed. He's going to take less money, but for what? If he's hurt for this year, unless this is like a crazy lingering issue, I couldn't see why he hasn't been signed yet. And, you know, obviously we're Red Sox fans, and obviously this is a Red Sox podcast. We are not signing Carlos Correa. I can, I'll put all the money I own on us not even – asking Carlos Correa, talking to Carlos Correa. But it's that's an interesting story. That's probably the most interesting story throughout the rest of the offseason. And we've had a couple of big names sign in other places. Obviously, Aaron Judge signed back with the Yankees. Um, Andrew Benintendi, who I would have loved to sign back, signed with the White Sox. Um, Carlos Rodon with the Yanks. Um, the Yankees just got stronger and stronger. But Throughout that whole thing, I, I still am not scared of the Yankees. And I'm not scared of the Yankees because they have to go up against the Red Sox. I'm scared of the Yankees because they have to go up against the rest of the AL. It, like, the Yankees will own us this year. Like, I'm going to put that down. You guys can think how you want to think. But it's pretty obvious this is one of those years. It's just I don't know what course I would rather have. Would we rather have what we do in the Red Sox where it's like, Sometimes, what is this organization? What is happening? And then we come back, you know, two years later, we're in the ALCS. Sometimes we're in the World Series. Sometimes we go out and win the World Series. I'm at the point where I'm kind of ready to fire our manager every year because we win a World Series with a new manager every year. Or every single time we, we hire a new manager, we win it. And Cora, I don't like the way that Cora has approached this. I feel like if I'm a manager of the boss Red Sox, I'm going to be more outspoken. And ownership has complete control. I mean, ownership is grabbing Bloom and Alex Cora's nuts right now. And they're just like, you know what? Screw you guys. And I don't know if Bloom is also part of this operation. Screw you guys. We're putting our money into the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're putting our money into Liverpool, even though we're trying to sell them. Where is the money that we have in Boston, and why is it not going towards players? We should never be in a rebuild mode. We are the most, or you could say the second most historic franchise. We have so much fucking money. We have so much money. We don't use any of it, and it doesn't make sense because when you don't use money in the MLB with no cap, it it really doesn't change anything. Just use the money that you have. And not only that, if you're not going to spend money, then sell the team. Yes. Like what's the point of keeping the Red Sox on your portfolio if you're not going to invest in them and try and make them better? Because, I mean, I'm no mathematician, but it <laughs> seems as if if you want to boost the profile and boost the value of your team, you have to put more money into it. Like, obviously, the sports market right now is crazy. We see teams sell for four-plus billion dollars. But mm-hmm. hypothetically, if John Henry decided that he wanted to sell his major stake in the Boston Red Sox, he could get a lot of billions. But it's not as appealing if you don't have any product on the field and if you don't have anything really going for you. 
right? So it makes no sense to me what they're doing. And the Red Sox fans are one of the most loyal fan bases in all of sports. And they, they, they've stuck with them throughout years and years of shit. And it just doesn't seem like ownership gives a fuck. So it's really tough right now. Like, it's really goddamn tough. At least, like, be transparent about it. You know what I mean? Like, if they're like, we struck out with Xander. We didn't get Mookie. We know we fucked up. But this is the direction we're going to go in. We want to call up our young guys soon. We want, This year might be tough, but we're going to rebuild for the next two, three years. We're going to get back Rafael Devers and all this stuff. Then I'd be like, okay, at least there's a direction for this team. But right now, you signed 40-year-old Justin Turner, Corey Kluber, Kenley mm-hmm. Jansen. But you keep guys like Marcelo Meyer in the system. You keep guys like Nick York. Um Rafael, they've been speaking about him so highly they haven't called him up yet. So it's all these guys who the young guys should be playing if you're going to rebuild, but they're trying to sell it to the fans as if, oh, look at these guys. These guys are seasoned veterans. We're trying to win right now, but you're not better than the goddamn Baltimore Orioles. No, no. Well, I was going to say, if you want to speak about it that way, like especially from the money standpoint and how the other teams that we own, like Liverpool's already spent and on pace to spend $300 million this season, and we have not even – come close to that in the last like three seasons and so like if we're talking about value of the club like like they're at least setting them up for a higher value they have they shine two young prospects that makes that value go up at least another 500 mil plus so like we haven't done anything and you know the the move that has been this is going to sound weird for coming from me but you know I was kind of expecting to lose Xander just because we know what this organization has been. The move that has been most confusing to me is, um, you know, we picked up a free agent. I don't remember exactly which one it is. Stop. Maybe you remember who exactly the person was. But to free up space on our major league roster, we DFA Jeter Downs. Yeah. Why are we DFAing Jeter Downs? That makes absolutely no – Jeter Downs is, you know, he's a triple layer. And he's about 25, 26 years old, which is quite young. He is a shortstop. He's literally the position that we need. We have him in our farm system. He came up. He had a big series against the Yankees last year, hit a walk-off last year, and, you know, was kind of issuing – or kind of had a few issues um, at at the plate when he was up with us in Boston. But – that's exactly what happens with prospects. It, it, I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. That is a guy that could be our starting shortstop day one and not because he's as skillful as these other major league shortstops, but literally just because we need a shortstop and he was there. We DFA him. Um, he's already gone. I, I believe he's in the national system now. Yeah. Um, that, that's a move that makes no sense. And, and you can say what you want about Jeter Downs. For all, for all the Red Sox fans – um, and all the people that pay attention to the farm system, you can say what you want about his attitude. You can say what you want about your opinion on his will to win. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to really get a reality check, you, you just watch that series against the Yankees. And, and that shows you the type of guy that he could be in the MLB. And I'm not saying he could be an all-star in the MLB, but he's a serviceable guy. And I think that he could have been an, an everyday guy for a team like the Boston Red Sox this year. Well, yeah, hundred percent. Not only that, he's, already played like base he played half a year with the red Sox, so he Mm. knows what it takes it makes no sense to me what was the point of even calling him up last year if you're just going to dfa him i mean the guy 
kind of answer your question, it was they designated Jeter Downs for Masataka Yoshida. That's yes. a guy we haven't really talked about as well. But because I have yeah. no idea who he is, I don't know who Masataka Yoshida is. But Nobody knows who he is. It's one of those <laughs> things where his ceiling could be great, and I, I'll shut up. But it's like you pay Masataka Yoshida, what was it, four years for 90? Yes. But you didn't re sign Kyle Schwarber for less? Like, yeah, and Schwarber's the guy that's proven. It, it doesn't make any sense to me why we continue to do this. Like, maybe they think, oh, we have the next Japanese superstar, which Shohei Otani has been obviously nothing short of a miracle for the Los Angeles Angels, literally the savior to that franchise next to Mike Trout, the face of baseball. But we, we knew that Shohei Otani was a two-way player. We knew that mm-hmm. he had a lot of value. If he couldn't produce at the plate, he could produce on the mound and vice versa. This guy, he's he's a right fielder. We don't know anything about his defense. We don't know. I mean, he, they say he's a contact hitter. Who They say he's like a Luis Arias with more pop. But, like, the pop in the Japanese league isn't the same as it is in the MLB. You don't have guys throwing 102 consistently. And you don't have the, the breaking balls, essentially. That it, It's just way different, way different environment. I hope he succeeds because if he doesn't, this will be a disaster. It will be embarrassing, to be honest. The story behind that before, like, like the numbers came out and everything like that, was that I'm pretty sure the Japanese league opens up their free agents for, like, 90 days, and they listen to all the offers, and they don't accept anyone until, like, the last week, and they just accept the highest offer. But apparently they were just stunned by the offer that the Red Sox sent them that the first three days they were just like, yeah, we're not going to get a higher offer, and they just accepted it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I, I heard. No, that I was just, and I saw that, yeah. and I was just no, in yeah. shock. I was like, well, what? well, that goes directly back to what I said earlier, where the reports from Japan were, you know, we were overpaying them. They thought that you would have got like half that, and it's like maybe Heim Bloom just that day was just like, oh wait, they want me to se- spend some money. Okay, I'll spend some money, and and there it is. We'll just throw it on this guy and. You know, if he works out, if he works out, we can clip this. We can all be wrong about it. I will gladly be wrong. I I would love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong about this team. I would love to be wrong about this organization. But right now we are in the dirt. And, you know, if I want to throw out a prediction right there, it's last in the AL East. I, I think that the Orioles I, – I actually don't know if we win a series this year against the AL East of how competitive it is going to be. Um, the Rays are going to struggle, but I, I, I think the Rays are going to be in a better position than we do. Or than we are, excuse me. I, don't- I also, oh, I also wanted to say, like, back to the free agents. Like, if we can sign, there's like, I looked at all the list of them and who signed where, who's either retired and who's available. There's a lot of serviceable guys left that could easily fit into our roster that would make us at least competitive. Like uh, enough to say that, like, oh, like we're scrappy enough where we could possibly get higher up in our division and not be last. But as of right now, I don't see us getting higher than last. And, I mean, we're talking about some questionable moves, too. Let's look around the MLB, too. The Toronto Blue Jays, I don't know what they're doing, essentially, right? Like, you let Teoscar Hernandez essentially walk. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. I, they're, they're another team that confuses me because every – like, remember last year we were predicting them to go to the World Series? And yeah. now yeah. nobody talks about the Toronto Blue Jays. And this is all due to stuff that they've done to themselves, right? Like – 
It's not like, oh, this guy got injured or whatnot, but like they traded Teoscar Hernandez for an infielder or for a reliever, like a back end reliever. But it's like Teoscar Hernandez was an all star. What are you trading him for right now? And they they really haven't made any other moves that would essentially help them. Like, I'm looking at this depth chart right now. Obviously, you have studs with, mm-hmm. like, you have Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman, Jose Barrios. Your top three are nasty. You have Jordan Romano. But then you have mm-hmm. Vlad, Vlad Jr. Your starting second baseman is Santiago Espinal. Matt Chapman, the guy who's going to bat 230 for you, 240. Yeah, good. Defensive specialist. You, you have Kevin Kiermeyer and George Springer. Like, that's not the Toronto Blue Jays that's going to go to the World Series. Like, it, it just looks like as of right now, the Yankees are going to cruise through the AL East and no one's going to yeah. even, like, touch them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's at the point where, you know, I'm looking at these other teams and I'm hoping that, you know, the Mariners take a big step up. I'm hoping that, the, honestly, the Astros are still good. I'm rooting the Raiders for the AL Central and the AL West, you know, and that's not good when you're rooting for the AL Central. I couldn't name it team in the AL Central that I actually think could get it done. You know, this is the easiest path for the Yankees. This is the Dude, easiest it's been for the Yankees in years. The Texas Rangers really are going out there and spending money. I don't know where they're getting it essentially. But <laughs> you look at that team, you have Jacob DeGrom, Andrew yep. Heaney, Martin Perez, Jacob Rizzi, and John Gray as your starting five essentially. Yeah, your, your first five and Nate Evaldi. Evaldi. Yeah, they're not even yeah, so your top three, you go DeGrom, Heaney, Avaldi, Perez, and whoever else. I, I think I'm missing. I'm just looking at their – Maybe John Gray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we're missing one more on there. And they they have Simeon and Seager in the middle of their infield. Nathaniel Lowe had an excellent season last year. Then you Adolis look at their – Yeah, like they're, they're making moves. They're going in the right direction. It, I mean – they probably have seen the Astros just dominate in the, the AL West over the last few years and in the AL in general. And they're like, we can't let this happen. And the same thing with Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners have – they made the playoffs for the first time in, what, 20-something years last season. And mm-hmm. they're just not settling for that. They're looking to do more. Like, you look at this uh, this depth chart right here. The, the depth chart on MLB.com isn't really updated to, like, today, essentially. But – you have Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo. They'd sign another pitcher, I think. I'm, I can't remember it, though. But then you have Cal Rally, Ty France, Colton Wong as your second baseman, Eugenio Suarez, who was who had a serviceable year last year, J.P. Crawford at shortstop, another serviceable guy. And then you have Jared Kalanick, Julio Rodriguez, a top 10 player in the MLB probably, like when or top 10 most exciting player, young and yeah. exciting. That'll be, we'll, we'll have to come out with a depth chart for that. But then you... On the opposite end of it, you traded for Teoscar Hernandez. You acquired him, and now you're in for business. They signed somebody else, and it's pissing me off that I don't remember. It's just, oh, my God. I'll find it. I'll find it. But, yeah, every other team in the MLB is making moves. Um, They're trying to compete right now while preparing for the future as well. They're trading for young talent, allowing them to compete now and also build something for the future. Yeah, and, and I mean, I I like looking at this Mariners roster, and 
they're making the right moves. They're doing exactly what they should do after a playoff appearance. And I think about our ALCS appearance against the Astros in, in the uh, roster that we had and how all those players that, you know, <clears throat> were our key pieces, you could say, we only have one of them left. Um, if not, you know, you could say Kike, who had a terrific or a horrific year last year with the injuries um, and just inconsistency at the plate. Um, the, a lot of those guys that we lost since then were attainable. You know, we, we had the option to get them back and we didn't. And we didn't get anybody in return. We didn't sign anybody to replace them. It, it Like, I think of it from a standpoint, any sport ever that we have ever watched, when a team lets go of players, and it's hard to compare a rebuild in baseball to any other sport because when you draft a player in basketball, when you draft a player in football, their, their production and, and, and their value is immediate. Right. You know, they get drafted. The first pick in the NBA draft is an all star. Essentially, I would say I would argue the same most years in the NFL. When you draft somebody in the MLB, it's like, all right, cool. That's we heard about this guy. We'll see in five or six years. Right. So with that being said, the Red Sox with this quote unquote rebuild, you could say, who are we looking to bring up? You know, you could say Marcelo Meyer, but I don't even think he should be good to go this year. Um, Jaron Duran sucks. We let, go, we let go of Franchi, which, you know, kind of makes sense. We don't need a first baseman. Franchi can't play in the outfield. Franchi's very inconsistent. And honestly, Franchi just sucks at baseball. I don't like he hits tanks, but he can't actually hit the ball. Um, we don't have those guys. This is basically what I'm trying to get wrapped around we don't have those guys to bring up like you said stuff we don't have the guys to replace the guys that we lost baseball rebuilds just aren't the same as these other sports and you know we're gonna tank this year for a pick it's like okay cool maybe we will be good in 2028 it, it really doesn't make sense at all yeah i mean it's kind of fun. The Red Sox really just fucked over Franchi Cordero's career. They're like, oh, we don't really have a spot for you in the outfield. We don't want to trade you. However, how about you play first base, a position that you've never played before? And if you suck at it, we're going to keep you there. And then he <laughs> proceeded to suck at it. And then he, they're like, oh, yeah, you suck. And then they cut him. And everyone just looks at him as a first baseman, and he's not a first baseman. No, I know. And, it, and in the minors, the worst part is he took reps at third. He was terrible. He took reps at second. In a game, he he played second base for like a couple innings. They pulled him. <laughs> yeah, it's like the kid is an outfielder, and he can't field. So that's why you need to stick him in the outfield because you know he's not going to be a twenty six year old DH. Um, he he was a project. He was a project that could have worked out. That I hope was going to work out, and it didn't. And now we're going to rely on these guys like Tristan Casas to be our everyday first baseman, who. You know, high hopes for him. Very, very high hopes for Tristan Casas in the league. But I don't think he's ready yet. I, I really don't. And I'd much rather see him than Bobby Dalbeck. But don't be surprised if he goes in a big slump at the beginning of the year and everybody's calling him a bust. And, and you know, the pressure in baseball gets to people because baseball is the hardest sport ever. You know, you, mm -hmm. you get praised for going one for three. If you go one for three in the NBA – um, you know, you're riding the bench. If you go 
I mean, if you ratio out to one for three in terms of uh, pass completion to the pass attempt in the NFL, if you're quarterback, you're trash. But if you go one for three, if you're 333 in the MLB, I mean, you're an all-star. So th- this is the hardest sport. And if there's any pressure on you and you can't handle it, you're pretty much screwed. And we've seen that with players. I mean, we've seen at least two, three, four players, I mean, probably even more, every single year across the MLB fold under that pressure. And there's a lot of people on the Boston Red Sox this year that are going to have that pressure, that are going to go through those slumps. and, and it's bound to happen. And I hate bringing up Casas, but he's one of those guys. And I would say Connor Wong as well. And Masataka Yoshida, because nobody knows who the hell he is. If, you know, they, if they fold under the pressure that Boston puts on them, which is exactly what we do, they are screwed. And in turn, we are screwed. So that that's about all I have left with this team. And and honestly, with the MLB, if you guys have anything else, no, I'm I'm tired of talking about the Red Sox already. It is well, yeah, yeah, I, and you know we got like 30 yeah. minutes out of it, and I feel like we covered covered pretty much all of it. But how about we talk a little college football? Um, you know, it, it's around New Year's time. That means the college football playoff is in full effect. We witnessed two. I mean, I want to say of the great escapes that I've ever watched in, in college football. I mean, these games were amazing. We'll start things off with the first game that was played, um, and what a fucking game, guys. What a game it was. The TCU Horned Frogs against Michigan, the Wolverines, obviously. Um, just a beautiful game. I mean, an awesome game. I, I actually don't even know where to begin with this game other than J.J. McCarthy. Throw away the 343 yards. He is a fraud. J.J. McCarthy is a fraud. I hate J.J. McCarthy. Michigan really choked. Like, let's yeah. be real. They, the first play of the game, they ran, a, what, a 70-yard run, got to the 10-yard line, and then they just, ne- out of the I formation, they never went back to the I formation all game. This is a classic overthinking, play-calling masterpiece by uh, Harbaugh here. Because, like, you saw what worked, and then you just never did it again. I mean, there was a lot of calls that didn't go Michigan's way, like that touchdown, whatever it may be. Yeah. But yeah, that's one call. And J.J. McCarthy threw two pick sixes. Michigan's mm-hmm. defense couldn't get a stop to save their life, to be honest. Um, and then Michigan's offense fumbled. They they fumbled the back, literally. First drive of the game, they get down to the one-yard line. It's four, or they get to the three-yard line. You call a triple reverse. On fourth and goal from the they, three. they called like a no they called like a Philly special but with yeah. an extra reverse in there on the three yard you are the you have the best offensive line in the nation <laughs> just run it run the fucking football and <laughs> if you don't ball. get it whatever you back them up and they're on the one yard line you get your defense maybe to stop get a safety but instead you just get stuffed and now they're on the ten yard line they don't have to worry about the back of the end zone and then second drive JJ McCarthy throws a pick six. Third drive, you get down to the one yard line again, and then you fumble the ball. You, you you try to get too cute again, right? Like you're in the power eye, and then you hand it to your fullback out of the offset eye. Run the damn football with your running back who is dominating up the middle. I guarantee you give him four shots at a at a goal line opportunity, he will score. No, you're right. And and, and you know, they didn't have their starting running back in this game. 
um, Corum. They didn't have Corum in this game. But Donovan Edwards ran 23 times for 119 yards in this game, and he, he broke off for a big one. He had a 54-yard run. Um, and he looked good. He looked very good. He looked powerful. He looked like somebody that can get it done inside the five. Shout out inside the five. Um, and, and, you know, Jim Harbaugh just likes to get cute. That's what he does. That's why he's never done anything you know, coach-wise in his life. He's been to Super Bowls. He's been to playoffs in, in, in college, and he doesn't get it done. And the exact reason for that is because his mental, like, games that he plays against himself, it, it's a classic line, you know, we're playing checkers, not chess. It, simplify this game down. You have the best offensive line in the nation, Um You've had the best offensive line in the nation for years. You have a great run game. I don't care if Blake Corum is in or not. You still have Donovan Edwards, who, like I said, ran for 120 yards. And that's all you need. Against a Big 12 defense, you're a Big 10 offense that runs the hell out of the ball, that pounds the ball, that, I mean, humiliates your opponents on defense. They made TCU's defense play their best game of the year. TCU's defense – and, and, and it wasn't because of the way that they played. It's because, you know, Michigan was just giving it to them. And you said what the pick six is, one of them from D. Winters, D. Winters, who, by the way, TCU's defense, D. Winters, their DB, I think he's their strong safety, if not free safety, had the game of his life. He, I mean, he was playing like a chicken with his head cut off, just running all over the field, making plays. Um, but the other one who, let me see the exact name of who it was that scored the touchdown, Bud Clark, the ball went right to him. And he just ran it into the end zone. I mean, it, it really doesn't get much easier on a pick six. Um, th- there was two interceptions in this game um, for in favor of TCU. Max Duggan also threw two picks. But those two interceptions were returned for touchdowns. That doesn't happen all that often. And, you know, that was the difference in this game. As it wrapped up 51 to 45 in favor of TCU. And I want to say that third quarter where they were just going blow after blow, throwing punches back and forth, was awesome. I mean, the game was awesome. Everything about this game was awesome. Max Duggan gets it done, and they're in the final. They're, since the For the first time since – I don't have anything in front of me. I actually remember this stat. For the first time since 1938, the TCU Horned Frogs are back in the national championship. And this is very good for college football. They don't – I don't know why they're here. I don't know how they got here or who let them get there. But thank God they didn't play Ohio State. Thank God they didn't play Georgia in this first round. If it was anybody other than Michigan, you know, I, I don't think the ball rolls the same way. TCU played the game of their lives. Max Duggan didn't even need to do everything that he has been doing all year because TCU's backup running back, Amari DeMarc, the market or something like that. I actually can't even pronounce the last name. It's the first time I've butchered the last name on the podcast. He ran for 150 yards. I mean, it, it, it was a great performance by, you know, the, the run game from TCU. Max Duggan had 57 yards on the ground to his totally ran for two. Max Duggan on those design quarterback runs in the red zone is unstoppable. It's If you told me at the beginning of the year that the TCU Horned Frogs would be in the national championship, I would call you crazy. I thought you'd be joking with me. But with that being said, are they the first Big 12 team to make it to the national championship? Um, I think through the playoff, yes. Yeah, that, that's essentially what I meant. But in the seven-year history. Yeah, yeah. No, they are. They are. They are. Because I think somebody brought that up. That's kind of crazy to think because, like, obviously, like, Oklahoma's had their 
their eras of dominance, but they were always overshadowed. I don't think they ever got through, right? No. The, the years with Baker, they lost to Georgia. And then the year with Kyler? The year with Kyler, they definitely they smoked by somebody. Yeah. They got smoked yeah. by Bama, I think. By Bama. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, they got killed by Bama. Was but it? that was in the semi. That was in the semi. Was it? Was that even? Did they even make the semi? Hold on. No, they must have. Hold on. Kyler Murray, Oklahoma. It wasn't in the national championship, I don't think. I, this is this is going to piss me off because yeah. I'm curious because I know the year after was the, the Jalen Hurts year that they got smoked by LSU in the um, they got smoked by LSU in the semifinal. Like Joe Burrow threw for eight touchdowns. Um, shoot, I'm trying to. It's a 2018 team, Oklahoma football. But like, even with that being said, mm-hmm. the, yeah, no, they in the Orange Bowl on December 20th. So yeah, that that was oh. the second round. They got obliterated. So yeah, this is probably the first Big 12 team to make it through to the final because. Oklahoma's only – I think Oklahoma and Baylor were the only teams that actually made it to the college football playoff. Has Baylor made it? Who – I don't even think Baylor's made it. Hold on. I, I think there was one year that they <coughs> did. Who was their quarterback, though? You know, because RG3 days was before playoff. That was pre-playoff. Oh, maybe. And Baylor, Baylor really hasn't been good. In the past no. few years. Shoot, this is gonna this is gonna bother me because I knew there there's like one team or there's always like one team that really never uh Texas never hasn't made it. No um Oklahoma has made the playoff but didn't do anything with okay, it. Okay, the first the first year Baylor was the fifth seed of the college football playoff. There is, there's only four seeds, though, so they didn't make it. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just saying, like, they were the next team in. Yeah. University of Washington made it. That's probably where I was confused. They're, you know, they're not a big – yeah, I know they're Pac-12. But I'm yeah, saying, no, but but that's exactly what I was going to say. That goes right to my point. Um, When we're talking about Big 12 teams, Big 12 is a good conference, right? You know, you, you have your TCU, you have your K-State, you obviously have your Texas and your Oklahoma and your Texas Tech and Oklahoma State. Um, But – this has been the playoff since the beginning, since the creation seven years ago, has been completely ran by the SEC, by the Big Ten, and then we've seen some stints of the Pac-12 in there, you know. And the Pac-12, who is the fakest conference on planet Earth, they have their years where they have those guys, they have those teams that are like insane. And um, <clears throat> like I said, we've seen some Oregon in there, and, and you know, we almost saw some USC in there if they didn't lose. But this is very good for the college football playoff is basically what I'm trying to say, um, especially having TCU advance to that next round. It adds a little bit of spice. I'm glad that they didn't let Bama in. But I think that if Bama gets in, I think Bama's in, in, the, uh, in the final. I think oh, that they're in, Yeah, I think that they're in the national championship. I mean, you know, we're not talking about all the bowl games, but um, Bryce they, Young threw five touchdowns and he had six incompletions. In that game against Kansas State, Kansas State, who obviously beat uh, TCU in in the Big 12 championship. But, I mean, hey, that's not how the ball rolled this year. And TCU is in the final. 
Um, and, and overall, I mean, I don't know if I would say that was the best game. I th- I would argue that that was the best game of the two. But how about this game, the ending of this game, and, and just the implications that it had on everybody's life at this point, you know? And we're and now we're going on to talk about Ohio State against Georgia in a forty-two to forty-one win in Georgia to end the game. I'm going to get straight to this because this was, I mean, one of the funniest things ever. Me and Will were together at this time um, to end the game. The kid that kicks the field goal, you know, he gets iced, comes back, he goes out to kick it. The ball is dropping. It's midnight. It is New Year. It's 2023, and the and the kid is going up to to kick the biggest kick of his life. He misses it, obviously, but shakes you know, it. I, I was telling Will, I, I had a kicker made connection with the ball. The ball finished dropping. Like it literally no, at that time, it, it, it was literally midnight. Right, right when he kicked the ball, and um, I was saying to Will. I could only imagine the millions of people that are watching this game on their phone, just like this, like me and Will were as we, you know, cause me and Will weren't in control of the television at the time. So we're out in the back of the room, just watching this game mm-hmm. as the ball is dropping. My girlfriend's right next to me trying to kiss me cause it's new year's. I'm like one second, I'm <clears> trying <throat> to see, you know, who's going into the national championship and I'm praying that it's um, Georgia, but, I would have loved to see an Ohio State TCU game. I think that would have been a great game. I think, you know, no matter what, Max Duggan's going to put up a fight. Um, but I am terrified to see a Big 12 versus SEC national championship. I don't know what the opening spread is, but I'll find that. Just, yeah, yeah, find that for me. I'll keep talking about this game a little bit. I'm terrified to look at, at the opening spread at this. But, um, you know, going through this game, it, it was kind of the same thing. And I, and I said in the last game, it was the third quarter where it was blow after blow. In this game, it was the second quarter. And, you know, Ohio State had control of this game. There, it, it was tied after the first. It, they went into halftime up. Um, oh, I'm so bad at math. I think it was like five, four or five, something like that. And then Ohio State comes out firing in the third quarter. They, they score 10 in the third. They, they have control of this game in – I mean, I think I told Will. I, I, me and Will were smoking some cigars um, in the garage because it was cold. And I go, all right, well, this is simple. There's like 10 minutes left. Georgia just needs to score like 15 points. Or they needed 14. They needed 14, right, Will? And I was like, oh, they're only down two touchdowns? Easy. Georgia's winning this game. I mean, I, I don't know how I knew. I don't know what I knew. I went to go live bet it. Everybody knew because they were minus one ten, and I, I think I said that to you. I was like, I was like actively looking at it because I was like, I was interested because there was a lot of weird like things going on that night in the betting world, like with odds, like it was with just odds, weird. yes, with odds because like like a complete different note. I bet on the Kansas game with a minute thirteen left. They were plus one twenty five down two to like Oklahoma State, and they won. And I was like, why? Why was that ever plus odds? Like, they had a whole and a half. No, you're right. And I was looking at, just to, you know, carry on with the odds, um, Michigan was starting to storm back in the last game, and uh, my dad texts me, and he goes, Michigan's going to win this game. My dad's usually on top of things like that. Michigan's down by, like, 10, and TCU has the ball, and Michigan money line is minus 110. I wish I knew that. Or it was, like, minus 150 or something like that. It was, like – they're down 10. It's like the third quarter. 
why are they like favored to win this football game right now? It, it made no sense. Um, but that's where Vegas tries to get right. you. Thank God I didn't bet on that. But you, you got speaking of yeah, speaking of spreads, I want you guys to guess. Griff, give me your guess. Georgia, six and a half. Will, um, ten. It's minus thirteen. Yeah. Okay, so Over- here's what I told Will. Here's my thought process for betting this game. <clears throat> if it was anything under eight and a half, I was going to take Georgia. Anything over eight and a half, or anything over 10, excuse me, anything over 10, I, I, I think that TCU wins the game. <laughs> I think I think if the spread's over 10, I think I'm going to take TCU money line. I hate Stetson Bennett. I hate him. <laughs> Dude, go start a family. Go get a job. Put your resume out there, dude. Time to start a real estate company. You're not a. He pisses me off. He's how he's in his second sophomore year. Like he's a senior. He's a senior. He's in like his fifth senior. No, he's in his sixth year. Yeah. Well. Okay. So he walked on to Georgia. He went to. He then uh, dropped out. He was like the seventh quarterback on roster because he was a walk on. Um. He went to a community college like right next to it. And then walked back onto Georgia. He was like the fifth quarterback, redshirted like twice, and then was the third string. And then injuries brought him into the game. And he's a game manager, right? And when you have the best team in the um, world, when you have the best defense in the nation, you know, you can kind of throw anybody at quarterback. But when I was watching this game, I was like, imagine if, you know, Georgia had a Bryce Young. Georgia had a C.J. Stroud. Georgia had a Max Duggan. These guys would be absolutely unstoppable. The, the person that's holding them back in all of this is their 5'11", 190-pound quarterback that, I mean, he he doesn't really deserve to be in this position, in my opinion. There was a lot better options in the college football world, and I think that they could have got somebody in the transfer portal last year. And Obviously, you know, they're the first seed in the nation. They're most likely going to win it. But with that being said, I could not imagine this team with, with like, a quarterback, you know, with a Heisman quarterback. It, it, they would be – I mean, there would be no doubt they'd be favored by, like, 20 points. So, you know, but but this game, um, going back to it to talk about it a little bit, um, Stav, you had Ohio State spread. So mm-hmm. shout, out to, shout out to me and Stav because – um, me and Stav picked the exact opposite um, yep. in the college football playoff. I got my game in TCU, which I said I was more confident about. Remember I texted you? Yeah, I was like, no, I was 50-50 about Georgia, but I got them at four and a half. So I kind of – I was like, you know what, I'll take it. Um, and, you know, Stav liked Michigan. I liked TCU. I was like, I'm very confident in TCU. I think J.J. McCarthy is a fraud. I also think Michigan are all frauds. Um, and And – um, excuse me, Stav loved Ohio State. He loved CJ Stroud or CJ Stroud. Wow, I always like mix up his pronunciation. Um, bad pronunciation day for me. But I mean, I would say that was like as neutral as we could have possibly got. Like, thank God, like your favorite pick and my favorite pick both yeah, hit. Exactly. That's out. exactly how it was. Like, I had more <laughs> reasoning to back up Ohio State to bet against Georgia, like I was it, talking about. CJ Shroud, and I was saying how that Georgia secondary does make me more nervous. And Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to have a big game, in which he did until he got taken out of the game. Yeah. And um, 
I thought the line was a little low because Jackson Smith and Jigba was out because he declared for the NFL draft. Um, I thought it'd be a little bit more in favor of Georgia. Regardless, it's still hit. Yeah. Um, Michigan, if I, I think I was betting a little too emotional on that aspect because I was betting for essentially a Big Ten champion or a national championship, mm-hmm. which unfortunately obviously isn't going to happen, not even close. No one in the Big Ten is going to be in the championship. But, yeah, that that's kind of my justification for betting Michigan. Because no. we talk about it too. Yep. A quarterback makes plays when these big games matter. And, and that's what I was going to say. Your exact reason for betting Ohio State was pretty much my exact reason for yes, betting TC. Exactly. It was like, okay, Ohio State has a quarterback. In my opinion, Georgia doesn't, right? But mm-hmm. it's Georgia, so I was like, maybe they just run the hell out of the ball. They play some defense. Everything's all good. Everything works out. And, you know, Georgia won the game, but we are betting guys. So – we're talking about spreads here. Georgia did not win the game. (laughs) Um, And and that was my exact reasoning was I got TCU at eight and a half. And I just simply looked at Max Duggan versus JJ McCarthy. And I was like, all right, I mean, this is the easiest pick I think I've ever made in my whole entire life. And and that proved to be true. Um, I also want to say just out of impulse, because I hit the TCU bet, I took the over in Ohio state, Georgia at 62. That I, I mean, the over, yeah, they scored 83. <laughs> no, you're not but wrong. It, it was literally just like I was like, I just saw how many points they put up in the first game. I was like, screw it, like, I, I will take this too, and we'll see where that takes us. But, um, you know, on the ninth, Monday the ninth, we will have our national championship. So, on the next episode, we will talk more about that specific game. We will talk about our pick for that game, um, probably have over, under, and the spread for it as well. Um, but how, how about we get into a little NFL to wrap up this episode? With it. You guys down? All right. So we are now in week 17. We have an absolute landscape of the playoffs, of everything that's going on, and it's getting wild at the end. Both of our teams are kind of in similar positions, I would argue. Um it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for both of our teams to get in. The Patriots need to beat the Bills. You're winning in, right? Yep, winning in. We control our own destiny. So you could argue that you're in a better position than the Seahawks because the Seahawks, you know, need another team to do something for them, but they're not playing the Bills. Um, the Seahawks have the Rams. They need to win that game, but they also need the Lions to beat the Packers. So what position – let's start this off – Will, what position would you rather be in? Would you rather have to be the Patriots and beat the Bills? Or would you rather have to be the Seahawks, beat the Rams, but then have the Lions beat the Packers? It's honestly a tough one because it's almost as if the Pats are just kind of written off next Sunday against the Bills because it's going to be a hard game. I I, I would want to say, I think I would want to say I'd rather be the Seahawks. There's some hope that the Lions can beat the Packers. The Lions have good momentum. I know the Packers just came off of a big win against the Vikings, but there's a lot of pressure. The Packers haven't really been playing consistently well. I know when they need it, they have been playing decent, but the Lions have momentum and they and they want to make the playoffs. They want to do as much as they can to give themselves that opportunity. And obviously with them winning and the Seahawks winning, Seahawks advance. So there's a little bit more leeway in that case. I know for the Pats standpoint, like even after winning against the Dolphins, which is already a big enough game, but they didn't have their QB, 
we're playing against a, a healthy Bills team, like well, a somewhat healthy Bills team for the most part. Like they have their whole offensive, unless there's like some kind of crazy snowstorm where they were like running the ball is like the only option. I don't see us winning that game. Well, here's my philosophy about it. Well, um, yeah, I, there's I'm, there's obviously another side of that point, but I'm a Raiders fan on Saturday night or Saturday during the afternoon because the Chiefs and the Raiders play on Saturday at four o'clock. If the Raiders beat the Chiefs, the Bills lock up the one seed, and then they don't really have a reason to play anybody on Sunday. There's no justification for playing any of their starters. But with that, being other than said, the fact, other than the fact that they knock off a divisional opponent yes. from the playoffs. But that's the reason why I don't like – I still feel like the first half they're going to just try to kill us and then we're going to have to have Mac Jones come back from being down and it's not going to happen. I don't – but when I say I'm rooting for the Raiders, to yeah. be honest, if the Patriots miss the playoffs, I'm not going to be, like, pissed because, in my opinion, they've been out of it since October. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't I like – I don't want – any justification for bringing back Matt Patricia, and that's totally something that would happen. They squeak into the playoffs, and we face it. We go to Kansas City in the first round, and somehow Patrick Mahomes doesn't get off the bus. Uh, Travis Kelsey hurts his foot, can't play. Frank Clark is out for the season. A lot of things go our way, and we end up winning that game. Matt I think you need all team. three of those things to happen. Yes. Matt <laughs> is going to be the offensive coordinator for the Patriots next year, and that's just going to be another year of hell. So, someone's fire alarm is going off. You guys hear that? But anyways, <laughs> besides the point, I don't really care if the Patriots make the playoffs. Anyone but the Steelers. Okay, fair. That 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 that's fair. What sucks uh, is that it, our game directly impl- like has implications with the Steelers game. Like if we lose, that gives them like another two chances to make the playoffs. Yeah, and, and I was gonna say, you know, we'll get in we'll get into that game, but the Seahawks beating the Jets also helped out the Steelers a lot. I hate the Steelers, but at the same time, you know, I'm an NFC guy, so anything that happens on the other side of the ball, um, it, it, I I don't really care about, but. Stop, like you said, um, you wouldn't mind if the Patriots, you know, don't make the playoffs, right? Because, you know, most likely in the first round, they're not going to do anything. Um, Up in Seattle, we do things a a bit differently because we don't win Super Bowls as often as you guys. Making the playoffs and losing in the wild card is a big deal around there. I mean, I would love to have one more week just to watch Geno Smith go out in a playoff game. Um, and, and you know, we could be playing against like the Vikings and, and if yeah. I play against the Vikings, I don't mind our chances. No, that, that'd be I kind of like I, your chances. Like, like if to have you guys come out and have a chance to win that game, it wouldn't be crazy to say that the Seahawks, come the out spread out. would be close. The spread and, would be and, around and three and a half. So, yeah. okay. So who, if we make it, we will be the seven seed Ooh. and yeah, we will be the seven seed. So we'll either play the Niners, who are divisional, so I don't mind that, the Vikings or the Cowboys. I don't mind those games. I don't mind those games. I don't mind our chances. And whatever the spread is in the game, I will definitely be taking them in the over because the Seahawks, if we are full strength and, you know, if Geno Smith is not like an idiot and he does what he's supposed to do, he gives the ball to DK Metcalf, he finds Tyler Lockett deep, Marquise Goodwin should be back by then. Kenneth Walker has been dealing with ankle injuries. Um, you know, looked good in this past game. Um, we could beat the 49ers. And, and you guys can say what, 
you guys can think what you want, but you know, when it comes to the NFC West, I know what I'm talking about. We can beat the San Francisco 49ers. I, I know it. I know it for a fact. And because that's exactly what Pete Carroll loves to do. He loves to ruin the division's life. He he that's like his one goal in life. He doesn't care about winning Super Bowls. He cares about making sure nobody else wins a Super Bowl in the division. I would love to play against the 49ers. But how about we talk about this past week in action? We had a great week. Um, we will get things started really quickly. Um, Dallas beat Tennessee on Thursday night. We're not going to talk. We're, we won't say anything else about that game. Um, <laughs> but but let's move on to another game where Arizona um, lost again to Atlanta 20-19. to The passing leader in this game, David Blau. <laughs> Anybody remember him? Anybody remember him from this past offseason? Oh, hard knocks. Hard knocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, David Blau. Um, just an absolutely awful game. How about we go to the next one? <laughs> um, yeah. Chicago, Detroit, NFC North matchup. We talked about the implications that Detroit has um, on the Seahawks as well as the Packers. If the Packers beat the Lions next week, um, the Packers are in. If the if the Lions beat the Packers next week and the Seahawks win, then the Seahawks are in. But the Lions aren't eliminated either. If the Lions beat the Packers, the Seahawks lose to the Rams, the Lions are in. So the, the, that's the full landscape of the NFC right there. And the Lions kept their playoff hopes alive this week by absolutely routing the Chicago Bears 41-10. to um, it, it, It's a very frustrating season from Chicago. They f- are 3-13 and right now. Detroit, you know, with a win would be over 500. That would be big news for them. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess like it, it was it was a good game. Jamal Williams has really stepped into that position as running back one. Screw DeAndre Swift. I hate Jared Goff though. Um, this game overall was just you know a routing, and Justin Fields has done everything that he can. I don't believe in that offense, and I don't believe in that coaching staff in Chicago, in my opinion. And I think those are struggles that we're going to see from time to time over the next coming years, where. Chicago's run game is like good, right? Their run game is very good, but I don't think they use David Montgomery enough. And I think that they try a little bit too hard to let Justin Fields kind of do his thing, um, you know, past the line of scrimmage in his own personal run game. I would love to see David Montgomery get more touches to kind of take a little bit of pressure off Justin Fields. And, you know, the defense over there sucks because they let go of everybody this past season. But Big win for the Lions. Um, I, I didn't watch this game. <laughs> yeah, the, there was nothing really much to say other than they pitched the ball to Justin Fields once, which is cool. He got like. I did see that. that. That's a play that Baltimore does. They call yes. it. Um. Oh, what do they call it? It's something about Mark Andrews because it's like Mark Andrews shifts, and it was the exact same play. It was literally yes. the exact same play. They ran it like three or four times. I, I like that play, and but. The Twitter world goes crazy for those plays when Lamar Jackson does it, and now that Justin Fields does it, because oh, he's a running back. It, I mean, like you're setting your quarterback up to get bashed on social media, yeah. but it is a good play design. Yeah, um, that was cool, but that game really, there's nothing much to say about it. 
what's the next game on the agenda? <laughs> we, have, we have Kansas City winning a close one against the Denver Broncos. Um, Russell Wilson ran for a touchdown. Um, Russell Wilson cried in the postgame press conference. Yeah. Shed, shed, like not cried as in like, you know, okay, this is bad. This is a bad set. I feel like somebody just set me up as I'm wearing full Seahawks gear right now and saying that Russell Wilson cried at the postgame press conference. But I don't mean that as like a, you know, screw you, Russ. He literally cried. He literally like shed tears talking about how hard he works. And, you know, I would say this is probably the best game that they've had all year. Russ went 26 for a 38. Um, threw for 222 yards, only had one pick, and he threw a touchdown, which he doesn't do that often. He ran for two touchdowns. I thought he only ran for one, but he had two in this game. Um, and I just love the numbers that Patrick Mahomes puts up. You know, he, he puts up – he only had three more completions, but he had 106 more yards in the air, two more touchdowns in the air as well than Russell Wilson. Um, this team, you know, goes as far as Patrick Mahomes, you know, lets them and that's the perfect position that's exactly what Andy Reid sets up and that's exactly what they need I mean if you want to put your quarterback in a position to win let him control the fate of your team what better quarterback to have right now than Patrick Mahomes and he's finding guys like Kadarius Tony who only caught four balls he had 71 yards Jarek McKinnon I mean has been an absolute touchdown machine out of the receiving back position um he, he's caught a receiving touchdown in each of the five past games, Travis Kelsey obviously gets it done um, all the time. But, you know, it, it's a game where you look at, you know, who caught a ball. And I want to say there's nine guys. I'm not going to count because that's bad podcasting. Um, I should have counted before this episode. Um, but, you know, everybody got a touch. And, and that's exactly what Kansas City said they were, they were going to do. And I – I love and I admire the Kansas City Chiefs because when they say that they're going to do something, they genuinely do it. They went out, they got a big win, and just like you said, Stav, they have a big, uh, big game coming up in Week 18 against the Raiders to secure that one seed. Well, I don't know if they secure. Do they secure? Yeah, because they have one game on the Bills. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But if they end up with the same record, then the Bills um, have that tiebreaker because they beat. Yeah, because the Bills have lost four games, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I forgot they only lost three. But it, it, this is such a lost season for Denver that it's really not even worth shedding light on them. They fired their coach. They have zero culture. They're just arguing on the sideline. Um, you, this is a hard thing to do. Like, what, what do you address first in the offseason? Do you get a head coach? You, you need – if you're the Denver Broncos, you need a loud, outspoken head coach, someone who can control a locker room, like a strict head coach. Because they they're just running all over the place with any without any consequence in my opinion. And and, and you know what they they would be projected the third pick in the draft, yeah, but they, they don't have, have their pick. They don't have their pick. So Seahawks right now at the third pick. I pray, pray that I don't know who Denver plays in Week 18 because, to be frank, I I hate the Denver the Broncos. Chargers. Obviously. Um, what'd you say? Well, we'll play the Chargers. I also wanted oh, to say that awesome. the Denver Broncos are so bad that they actually skewed our rule after the week after firing your head coach. You get a win, they skewed it very bad. No, I, I mean, but I, I don't even think that that applies. At no, this yeah, this like, is one of the this is one of the most failed seasons of all time. Yeah, like 100%. We, like this, like it really, 
Like they're down on on the chart from from all these games that we have witnessed. But after a coach being fired, they this skews it bad. But we're not. Yeah, bad look for Denver. It's been a bad season from Denver. Good win from Kansas City. But let's move on here. Um, I'll let you guys take over here. Big win, big win. I I'll let you guys take over. And so, Stav, I know, I know, I know your thought process through this, but it's always good. It's always good to get a divisional one. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I hate Miami, so it was, it's always good to see him. But I know the stipulations, right? Like Tua was out, Bradley Chubb was out, Xavier Howard was out. That game probably goes in a different direction if those guys play. So I know what that game was like. However, the final score doesn't really dictate how much that game was dominated by the Patriots in the second half, especially defensively. Um, Kyle Duggar's a beast. Kyle Duggar's the best player on this defense. Um, and I'm saying, like, he goes toe-to-toe with Matthew Judon. Judon's kind of been quiet over the last two or three weeks, but he still makes plays. But this was the Kyle Duggar game. Kyle Duggar was flying around the field. And Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers was killing people. Every time they would run a stretch play, Jabril Peppers would just go right through the right hole and make a great play. He forced a fumble on the first drive that they just ruled forward progress on, even though there was not forward progress. I didn't really understand that. There wasn't a there wasn't a stop like he never got he never it wasn't like a collision where they stopped and were running against each other. No, Jabril Peppers just popped them and he went backwards and they called forward progress. But whatever, that's besides the point. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Uh, Mac Jones had a pretty good game. Uh, he he fit the ball into some tight windows for the first time in a, what seemed to be a little bit. He threw for two touchdowns. Faith to yeah. Kobe Myers threw a good ball to Taekwon Thornton. Shout out to Taekwon Thornton for a touchdown. Yeah. yeah. That's always first, good to see. First, Mac Jones, Taekwon Thornton touchdown that we've seen. But it's like, I mean, Damian Harris is back. Who's back of the week? Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, the two-headed back real monster. Like, I, I, love, I love seeing those guys run the football. Hunter Henry had a pretty good game. So, it was an all-around solid performance. Uh, there's still some things that you need to clean up. And if you want to beat the Buffalo Bills, you can't throw for just 200 yards. And you can't let your quarterback get sacked at a field goal range every time it's third and short from the 40-yard line. Agreed. Um, I also, I mean, yes, I agree. All those things like good win against divisional team. Don't like the Dolphins. Never did. Um, this also just knowing the stipulations for next week, it, it really kind of hurts knowing after the last couple weeks what we've had to deal with. If we probably just taken one or even both of those games, we winnable game against the Raiders should have won that game or at least been in overtime to have a chance to win that game. I don't even want to talk about that any further than that. And then obviously against the Bengals on Christmas Eve, I don't really know what went on on that last drive either. I still baffles me. We wouldn't be in this predicament per se, I would say, where we have to win against the Bills. We probably still would have needed something outcome from this game to move on. But like hypothetically with two more wins, we would be more secure. Okay, but that Christmas Eve game against Cincinnati, well, <clears throat> you, like, we're, we're talking about, you know, the game, and I was, like, trying to remember, like, what happened. We were at the game. That's how cold yeah. it was. Like, I, like, I think that I have, like, memory loss because of how cold it was that game. I don't actually, like, remember. I remember the fumble. I remember the fumble on the six-yard line um, because at that point we were all cheering for the Patriots because this is actually a story. All three of us were at this game. Um, we got lucky. We got a bunch of tickets late um, our, early on Friday or no, late Friday, late Friday, excuse late me. Friday. Um, and we were like, all right, yeah, let's go to this game. 
Uh, it's going to be cold, but it should be sunny and it shouldn't be windy. It wasn't sunny. It was windy. It was awful. <laughs> the game was freezing cold. I The whole time I was just like focused on how cold I was. I was focused on being less cold. I was eating chicken tenders with my gloves on. Um, my, my Coke froze before I could finish it. Um, overall, just like, I mean, the only way I could put it was a shit show. It was a shit show the whole time. And in the third quarter, um, my sister was there as well. She left, um, when, once the Bengals got the ball back and I was like, okay, this sets me up perfectly. If the Bengals score this drive, we're leaving pick. Okay, cool. If the Bengals score this drive, we're leaving. It was like a three and out or something yeah. like that. And then it was like, all right, if the Patriots don't score this drive, we're leaving. Touchdown. At the, I mean, at that point, it's the end of the fourth quarter. The Patriots have the ball on the six-yard line. And we're like, okay, if the Patriots don't score, I'm going to be pissed off, like, throughout New Year's. And, you know, they fumbled on the six-yard line. Um, just a brutal loss. A brutal loss, I would say, for us, you know, sticking through it. Shout out to us sticking through it because, damn, it was cold. It was freezing that day, and um, I like totally forgot that we were even there. And it, it was, it was such a, like it was a great day. It was a great day. It was fun. It was a memory filled day. Um, just the like everything other than the game is what I remember though is what I'm trying to say. Um, it was just an absolute like barn burner of a day for us. But you know that that's how the NFL works. Well, going back to your point on you know getting wins, getting losses, you know. Throughout throughout the long eighteen week season, or I would call it a short eighteen week season, um, there's games that you know your team should win, but they don't. There's t- games that your team shouldn't win, but they do. And, and you know you can't really look back at it and be like, well, if the ball rolled differently this way, you know, yeah. it, it would be great. But you know, um, yeah, you're going into week eighteen, and, and you have a chance to make the playoffs. And no offense to you guys, but I would agree with my team as well. You guys are a team that I, I wouldn't have in the playoff picture at the beginning of the year because there was a lot of question marks coming from this team. Um, you know, their defense needed to sharpen up, and I think that you guys have had a great defense throughout this year. Um, the quarterback issues that arose at, at the beginning of the season with Mac Jones going down with an injury, Bailey Zappi stepping in, winning a couple games, um, and then you, you go back to Mac Jones, which I agree with that move. I think that was the, the right decision for the future of the team. But I just don't think that Mac Jones is a, is like a you know he he can go out and win a playoff game yet. I I don't think he's there. I think he can get there. Um, and, and you know that kind of wraps up. I feel like all three of us are at the same point on this team where you make the playoffs cool, you don't make the playoffs cool. I mean the season's pretty much over anyways. And, and we talked about the Seahawks stipulations. You know who they could possibly be playing. We're kind of in the same position as well. So. Um, going into week 18, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. But going on to the next game, how about the New York football giants securing a playoff spot for the first time since 2016 with a 38-10 to 10 win over an AFC opponent in the Indianapolis Colts, excuse me, Daniel Jones, a playoff quarterback, Saquon Barkley back. Daniel Jones throws for 177 yards this game, you may be saying. That's not a lot. Daniel Jones ran for 91 yards in this game. Um, overall, I would just say a good win by then. Congratulations on the playoffs. It wasn't really anything exciting. These weird week 17 matchups where it's AFC versus NFC really throw me off. 
Yeah, it wasn't I the only thing I took away from the I mean two things I took away, obviously congratulations to the Giants. Daniel Jones is having a really good year. Um yep. it's really going and didn't really sign an extension. Didn't sign an extension. Daniel Jones didn't at the beginning of the season didn't sign an extension. So he was playing for a contract and he did his thing. He earned it. I mean, Saquon Barkley is probably one of my favorite running backs in the league. He's just electric. And it's crazy to see what the Giants are doing without any real receivers. Like, you look at the depth chart at receiver for the Giants, and they really don't have anyone, and they're in a prime position to go make a move and acquire one. And the second thing I want I took away from this game was Kayvon Thibodeau just celebrating over Nick Foles' convulsing body. Um I want. I could be here, sit here, and be a boomer and just be like, "Oh, it's a dirty play." Blah 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 blah. You can't do that. It's I like, love whatever. it. He probably didn't see it. Like, no, I, I he really definitely didn't. See it. Dude, he was making snowmen. He yeah, was making snowmen on the ground, it, dude. He was looking like, over to his left. He saw Nick Foles really laying down, and he was just like, "All right, I'm just gonna keep making snow angels." Yeah. Like I just sacked him. It was ironic. I, I thought it was kind of funny. Like if he he did a snowman celebration next to a convulsing dead body. It's you know who I think Kate Thibodeau is going to be? Jadevian Clowney. I think that Kayvon Thibodeau is a guy that doesn't try every play. I think that he tries when he wants to, which is exactly who Jadevian Clowney is. Jadevian Clowney, if Jadevian Clowney was 110% every single play, I mean, I think that we would be talking about him as a Hall of Famer. You know, we saw what he did at South Carolina. Um, we saw what he did his first few years. But he started, like, kind of just – giving up and, and and I people you know question came on Thibodeau's love of the game because he, he took plays off and stuff like that I think that it's, it's not his ceiling I think like it's also not his floor I think that like right in the middle right in the middle that average spot it, it is a Jadevian clowny from him because I I think that Kayvon Thibodeau takes plays off while he's on the field it, and if it's a run play I don't think he does anything. I think he's just there to sack, sack the quarterback. So I love him. I love Kayvon Thibodeau. I love Oregon guys. I think that he's very athletic, very like kind of like a freak coming off that edge. But he has a lot of progress that he needs to do to take the next steps. He needs to be better in the run game. Um, and he, he can't be taking plays off. And, and it's like obvious when uh, defensive linemen take plays off. Right when they get caught into that block, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of just stop sometimes. And I, I feel like I've noticed Kayvon Thibodeau do that a lot. And, and when he doesn't do that, it seems like every time that he doesn't do that, he's in the backfield. He's making um, plays. He, he's sacking the quarterback. He's pressuring the quarterback. He's hitting the quarterback. Um, but I, I wanted to get that point across because I've noticed that throughout the whole season. And every time I watch him play, it's like, this guy looks like Jadavian Clowney, in, in my opinion. That's just the- super, super smart. Like, it, like in live action. I don't know if you saw the clip against the Commanders, where like they ran like so they had the guy on the opposite side of Kayvon Thibodeau go behind more, so they just closed in on the QB. But like Thibodeau threw up like a hand sign, and they just automatically did that. Like they had no intention of doing that to begin with, but they both looked over. He threw a hand sign. And they just collapsed mm-hmm. it right away. That's kind of cool. And, and that goes right back to Dable, though. I think that Dable yeah. has done a fantastic job this oh, uh, whole season. He's completely changed the entire culture of that organization around. Like, yeah. last year, I remember when it was week 18 and they were calling QB sneaks on third and eight. Like, fans were booing. Oh my it's God, hard yeah. to turn. Like, 
they really didn't have much roster turnaround. If you look at their team from last year to this year, not much has changed. Guys just got healthy. You get Kayvon Thibodeau, and they've just played harder for and the head coach. Yeah, like I'm saying, like roster wise, like yeah, no, yeah, three man roster. They really haven't added or got rid of many people, and they've just they've really just started to click and they play hard for your coach, and that's what it really takes. I mean, and. You know they're in the playoffs. Who knows what they're going to do in the playoffs? But they're in the. What playoffs. happened to o- what happened to Odell Beckham? Is he just not going to play? Odell's not playing this year. No, he, he's not signing with anybody this year. Um, a large part of that was because um, nobody wanted to sign him just for the playoffs. They wanted to give him a couple of weeks. He wasn't. He he wasn't really you know with that. So. Um, Odell's not playing this year to wrap it up. But um, I, I say a lot of these games I don't even really want to talk about. Um, I'll fly through a couple. New Orleans beat Philly. Um, this would be a game that we would talk about if Jalen Hurts was playing, but he wasn't. Um, Tampa Bay made the playoffs again. Um, mm-hmm. Tom Brady threw for 432 yards. Do you guys want to talk about that? I, I yeah. Really don't. Okay, I mean, we, well, we, I just wanted to mention one thing. I lost the fantasy championship because my opponent had Mike Evans and Christian McCaffrey. Mike Evans did go off, and Christian McCaffrey did go off this week. And and how about I say that in an overtime game um, where Jared Stidham threw for 365 yards. Maybe you guys should have kept Stidham. Yeah, maybe. No, but, but uh, sorry, yeah. San, Fran, San Fran beats uh, Las Vegas 37-34. Um, the, the end of this game was awesome. Brandon Ayuk had a few balls. Um, you know, Brandon Ayuk had that. I don't want to call it a Hail Mary, but the ball was up in the air, got tipped up in the air, and he caught it for a big first down. Um, kicker missed to end regulation. Robbie Gould missed. Uh, but then he got his chance once again because of a pick that they brought down into the red zone. Um, and, and San Fran finished their business. Um, a good win from them. Um, they escaped, you know, uh, almost a bad loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. And Stidham looked pretty good. But, um, you know, I don't even know what I'm saying. Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy has surprised me. And I, I've i talked about Brock Purdy on this podcast before because, you know, when he was Mr. Irrelevant, I was like, oh, I know this guy, right, from Iowa State. And how about a little Big 12? Shout out once again. It was a big Big 12 episode. Um, he He's looked fantastic. And I honestly think that they can win the Super Bowl with him. Yeah, he, he doesn't have to do – I mean, it's clear to see once you have the studs around you, and especially with Debo Samuel, who is going to end up coming back. Yeah. Um, that team just has studs all around him. And Brandon Ayuk has really stepped up to fill that – I don't want to say fill the role of Debo Samuel, but has stepped up – To be a wide receiver team. one. He's been yes. the wide receiver one. Yes, and he, yeah. he's making plays consistently, especially on the, the, the drives to set them up at the end of the game. He was making plays. Um, Christian McCaffrey's – one of the best running backs in the league. We are getting reassured by that day by yep. day. George Kittle, ever since Brock Purdy has stepped up, has become back to that tight end one that we expect to see him. Offensive line is dominating and the defense is just stifling. I mean, it's crazy to see that Jared Stidham was the first – or Jared Stidham went off, but Josh Jacobs didn't rush for six over 60 yards, so I was right. I mean, mm-hmm. if we had an episode last week, I would have said that, but I told Griff that I was benching Josh Jacobs in fantasy and I made the right decision um, because the San Francisco 49ers haven't allowed over 60 yards to one rusher all year. Yeah. Which I, yes, you did. You did bring that setup to me. And um, I think I argued back. I was like, but it's Josh Jacobs, but you were right here. You were, you were very right here. Um, 
big win from San Fran. I don't know how much of an implication that has for their uh, standing status, but kind of like a momentum win. Yeah, I also yeah. want to say I know we briefly mentioned the Eagles losing next week. That's actually big because the Cowboys could win the division and they would have a higher seating, I believe. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they but, lose um, the Giants yeah. and the Cowboys win, Cowboys win the division. That would be a crazy turn of events. And, and excuse me, Hertz is not going to be back next yeah. week. He can't be. I I wouldn't understand why they would put him in next week. He'll be back for the playoffs. But you're right. That would be big if somehow the Eagles, you know, fall apart. Well, it's not somehow. It's because Gardner Mitch is their quarterback right now. But, well, I'll, I'll throw a couple of these games out here as well. Um, I don't. We don't have to go into too much depth about Seattle because we, we've been talking about them pretty much the whole episode. They won 23-6 against the Jets. Um, the defense looked fantastic. Mike White was playing injured. He had like a special flak jacket or whatever. Kenneth Walker ran for 133 yards. He's inching close to that 1,000-yard rushing season, um, which is awesome. And, you know, Geno looked good with, with an injured Tyler Lockett who played here and there. DK Metcalf didn't get the ball too much. Cody Parkinson had a great game in that game as well, but the defense really stood out in their win against the New York Jets. Moving on, we had Green Bay absolutely route the Minnesota Vikings, and that's what really scares me. Uh, you know, they have a big game against the Lions, which we've been talking about throughout the episode, um, but a big win for Green Bay, 41-17. to Aaron Jones finally getting on the ground for 111 yards. Um, a, a very big win. We have the Rams versus the Chargers, the Battle of L.A., won by our Bolts, Bolt up, Victory Monday. Happy Victory Monday, by the way. All three of our teams won this week. Mm -hmm. So that is a very big deal for and us. The Bolts last Monday, they clinched playoff, playoffs. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Chargers, a playoff team. So if anything, if we, you know, if the ball doesn't roll our way in week 18, and the Patriots don't make it, and the Seahawks don't make it, we do have rooting interest in our Bolts. SoFi Stadium is officially our house until said otherwise, um, you know, because we don't play the Rams again for a while, but the last time we played them, we beat them. That's all that matters. Um, and then we go to Sunday night in a crazy game where Kenny Pickett has a game-winning drive. Pittsburgh wins 16-13, to keeps their hopes alive going into Week 18. Baltimore falling apart with Snoop Huntley under the helm. Mark Andrews had 100 yards. Najee Harris, I would say, had one of his best games in a Steeler uniform. Najee Harris is getting there. He, he is definitely going to – Najee Harris, I, I have no doubt in my mind, will be in a in one, two, maybe three, four, or even um, Pro Bowls in, in his career. I think that Najee Harris is it. I think he's that guy. Kenny Pickett had a decent game? No. Kenny really? Pickett sucked. Kenny Pickett sucked, but he had the drive. He had the drive, and, you know, that's all that matters at the end of the day. And week 17 is wrapping up with tonight. Buffalo versus Cincinnati tonight at the night of this recording. Um, Going to be a great game. And, and, you know, we have week 18 to look forward to. Um, do we have anything else to bring up? In Make our predictions. Who's going to win, Bengals or Bills? Um. Um, let's get the spreads. It's Buffalo minus one and a half. So, who's covering? Pick them. Will. Go. Bengals plus one and a half. Stav. Yeah. Bills minus <laughs> one and a half. Give me the under of 49 and a half. Give me the Over. under. 
over. Gonna It'll be take the over too. I just want to be so different. Final score is gonna be thirty-five to thirty-one. Final score is going to be 24 to 21. Um, and, and the under is going to hit. I saw you, I saw you doing the math right there. Because it's 49 and a half. So it's yeah. pretty – that was quick math for me because it's easy. Because it has to add up to 50. That's 25 plus 25. So that I'm not good at math. That was just simple for me. Um, but anyways, any anybody else have anything or should I wrap nope. it up? I said 28-24 and that's it. 28-24 with, with the over hit by a couple. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We will catch you guys later in this week. And peace. Peace. peace.